0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back today to our PIREP podcast. My name is Desmond Jordan. I am the chair of the Pilot-to-Pilot Committee, and I'm joined by our MEC chair, Bern Lewell and also our Labor Relations Counsel, Joel Hoderick. Uh, Joel, m- many people in the group may not know who you are. Could you just give us a little bit, a bit of uh, background uh, of how you relate to our group?
1: Sure, I'm the uh, ALPA staff member assigned uh, as Labor Relations Counsel to uh, represent the uh, the pilots at um, the WestJet property. Um, I uh, I have been a member of the uh, Alberta and the Ontario bar for 21 years. I have my MBA as well as my law degree from the University of Calgary and I spent um, 20 years of my uh, early career working as a professional negotiator in the oil and gas sector uh, followed by a two-year stint as a Q400 driver at uh, WestJet Encore uh, where I also served as the Negotiations Committee Chair during the uh, uh, initial stages of uh, negotiations for their first collective agreement. Uh, I was uh, uh, poached to go across the street uh, and drove the uh, the 330 and then the 321 at uh, Air Transat and was also involved in two rounds of bargaining uh, to extend their collective agreement uh, as a participant in the uh, negotiations committee uh, at that property. I've been employed by ALPA as a staff member um, since uh, March uh, of last year, so just coming out from my first year of anniversary, and uh, have been working with uh, uh, the WestJet MEC since uh, I was hired. I'm based in Calgary as well.
0: Okay, so you have a unique situation of not only having a depth experience in the legal field, but also in the aviation field and an asset for our group. One question that we see popping up quite a bit is the idea that we're involved in these negotiations with a company who is not the most forthcoming with information. How do we know as a pilot group uh, that the information that they're giving us with regards to financing is correct?
1: Well, we uh, rely heavily on my colleagues that work in the economics and financial analysis division of ALPA. Uh, for those that don't know, ENFA is one of the uh, the key facets or the, um, the crown jewels, if you will, in the ALPA universe. Uh, it's a group of individuals, uh, analysts that are responsible for data collection, synthesis and analysis, uh, specifically with respect to labor relations questions. And uh, they spend um, uh, their entire professional working lives uh, analyzing financial statements that are provided to them by various employers, and coming up with uh, um, a concept of of what companies can and can't afford. That's one of the underlying ethos of uh, of Excuse me, of Alpa rather. That uh, uh, the um, uh, we we always work with uh, with management to understand what their ability to pay is uh, in terms of uh, in terms of moving forward. In this particular negotiation, uh, my colleague, uh, Jeanette Duval, who's uh, our ENFA analyst uh, in this particular circumstance, uh, has signed a confidentiality agreement. She has access to a data room uh, in which financial information is disclosed on a confidential basis, and she's able to review that information. The question, I think, um, uh, that you were also telling me about when we were off air was, uh, how do we know the company is, in fact, telling us the truth? And um, one of the, um, uh, I think, essential elements of it is... Uh, The law takes a very dim view of uh, individuals or corporations that lie uh, in particular negotiations. Okay.
0: With the acquisition and potential merger of Sunwing Airlines, how might that affect our negotiation process uh, here at the West Adalba Group?
1: Well, that uh, that question is something that's uh, certainly been discussed at the MEC level for quite a period of time since the uh, original acquisition was announced. So I think we have to deconstruct that thought into two separate streams. We have to talk about what is possible uh, and then talk about what is likely. Uh, Now it's possible that uh, following the acquisition uh, WestJet could announce an operational merger of the two entities and essentially throw them together and try and operate them as one. I would suggest, however, that the more legitimate answer is um, that it is unlikely that that will happen for any period of time. Uh, In my estimation, um, You're not going to go ahead and spend millions of dollars to acquire a competitor simply uh, to blow it up the day after you've got your hands on it. Clearly, Sunwing does something in the marketplace that WestJet and WestJet Vacations was unable to do. Otherwise, there'd be no motive to go out and to acquire that particular piece of business. And if I was management, I would be taking a look at the operations there, trying to understand how it does what WestJet's not able to do or was not able to organically grow into doing. And uh, to spend a year or more looking at the operation and trying to understand uh, how it contributes necessarily to profitability and where it f- factors into the future operations of the uh, uh, of the WestJet uh, uh, combined entity. Um, I think for the time being, our focus necessarily should be uh, on the current set of negotiations because, Quite frankly, we don't have another alternative. The contract has expired. The law obliges us to meet and to try and negotiate a replacement to that contract. And uh, Bernie, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. That's really the uh, the focal point of of uh, of what we should be working towards at this point.
2: No, absolutely, Joel. Yeah, we are focused right now on on securing a, a contract through the through the negotiating table over the next
1: few months. So I guess you know, Des to circle back to uh, to the to the beginning of the answer, nobody knows for certain. Um, but again, you have to look at these things in terms of probabilities and likely outcomes and uh, and not um, uh, become, I think, uh, uh, consumed by uh, the what-ifs because uh, uh, there's a lot of what-ifs um,
0: uh, in any negotiation. Okay, so if I were to understand this in pilot-speak as opposed to lawyer-speak, Yes, uh, there's a possibility that if they were to merge the uh, two unions together operationally, that could uh, delay our bargaining process, but it is improbable. And what we have now, what we're dealing with now is the conciliation process, which does have a timeline on it of where are we into this now, Bernie, in our, in our timeline, 60-odd 60, 60 days?
2: Yeah, we're into the 60-day period right yeah. now, and uh, following that, we have the 21-day cooling-off period.
0: Okay, so we are now officially into the conciliation process. Joel, I was just wondering, could you outline uh, where we are in it now and what the timeline is going forward?
1: Well, certainly. As you know, um, preparations for this negotiation began well over a year ago. Uh, I guess the first uh, milestone in terms of the official part of the process was uh, on September the 2nd uh, of 2022. We provided uh, a notice to uh, bargain to the employer, which is the official kickoff of the entire legal process. Uh, that was the earliest possible date that we had to provide uh, the notice, uh, which was 120 days before the expiry of the uh, collective agreement. Um, we met uh, throughout that period of time uh, leading up to December the 31st with the company, and then the contract uh, expired um, on December the 31st of uh, 2022. The uh, Section 50 of the Canada Labour Code um, essentially uh, sets up a, a, a standstill or a, a statutory um, continuation of the existing wages and working conditions until one of two things occur. Either a new collective agreement is entered into or the parties are released to uh, pursue uh, self-help, which uh, from the perspective of the employer could potentially be a, a lockout and from the perspective of uh, the association could potentially be a, a strike. Now, um, as I mentioned, we've been negotiating back and forth uh, quite furiously uh, and uh, up until uh, the point uh, on um, February the 10th when we decided that we'd reached uh, the position or the point of impasse between the uh, the company and ourselves, we provided a notice to the federal government at that point in time stating basically that uh, that we'd moved as far as we thought we could and uh, that we needed the assistance uh, of a third party to, uh, to help uh, facilitate further discussions. The federal government appointed a, uh, a federal um, uh, conciliation officer on uh, February the 24th and that was the, uh, the start of the clock with respect to the 60-day period of time during which uh, conciliation takes place. And uh, that's largely comprised of uh, meetings between ourselves and the company with the uh, participation of uh, an individual appointed from federal mediation services. Now, at the conclusion of that 60-day period of time, uh, unless the decision is made by the MEC uh, to, to extend it further, we enter what's called a 21-day cooling off period. Uh, and at that point, uh, then and only then, uh, would we potentially be in a, uh, a position um, to either be locked out or to, uh, to go on strike. And uh, in that period of time, um, we're going to consult with our members and, and have a, a strike vote and pursue a strike mandate, depending on, on how things go, is that right? Yeah,
2: so we just finished up a round of polling that asked questions uh, related to uh, the contract, how it's going, how the the pilots feel it's going, and uh, and the willingness to engage in work action uh, to authorize a strike vote. I need the uh, permission of the MEC uh, with an indefinite date as to when uh, the strike authorization vote would open and close. There is, a, a, according to the ALPA constitution, that strike authorization vote has to be open for 15 days, a minimum of 15 days. Uh, so we'll be looking at a time in the future for uh, when we'd wanna hold that vote. And it would really uh, depend on how things were going at the negotiating table. So Bernie, does a strike vote mean that we're actually going on strike? No, uh, a strike vote. Uh, what we're asking from the pilots is, is the uh, the mandate that uh, that we can go on strike if required. Uh, ideally, the higher that vote is, uh, the more uh, the, the more seriously the company will take us and and come back to us at the at the negotiating table.
1: I, if I can just jump in, uh, I mean, if we look at uh, some of our properties um, uh, south of the border and also our own uh, history. I believe uh, last time there was a strike vote held, there was 92 percent of pilots voted in favor, and that gave a very, very strong indication to not only employer, uh, but all parties involved uh, of the uh, the seriousness of the pilot group during the uh, uh, CA-1 negotiations. Uh, and I think if we look south of the border at some of our friends at Alaska and, and Delta and, and those uh, type of places, the strike votes are coming in typically uh, you know, in the high 90s, which, uh, which signals a high degree of unity amongst the pilot group uh, and is a very effective tool in negotiations. Now for those of you counting at home on your calendars, um, the lawyer in me is required to tell you that uh, when we have uh, the strike authorization vote, the vote's only good for 60 days. And so the timing of that is something that's uh, a bit more uh, of art than science. Uh, and uh, uh, Bertie, safe to say that it'll be done at the discretion of the uh, the MEC when the time is right. Uh, that's absolutely correct. And as I said before, it, the strike
2: authorization vote will come at a time that uh, that we feel is right, but only if we feel uh, we need it. If the company comes to the table with us and negotiates in good faith and we're making progress, we might not have one.
0: All right. So the stronger the strike vote, the stronger indication of how serious our pilot group is.
2: That's 100% correct. Yes. If we could get a 100% strike vote in favor of uh, authorizing the uh, the MEC uh, to have that lever, we feel that uh, that will pull the company back to the table.
0: Excellent. Okay. So we've kind of identified what the strike vote is actually for and what that actually means. But, you know, the word strike is out there quite a bit. And for many people in our group, none of us have ever been a part of a strike. We don't know what a strike actually looked like. What would the process be in actually working up to actually going on strike?
2: So one of the things I think we do have to bring up is that a strike authorization vote does not mean we're going to actually be going on strike. It means that we're authorized to do work action uh, after the cooling off period has, has finished. Uh, and that could be... Uh, Rotational a withdrawal from service, uh, but always the pressure would be increasing on the company to again pull them back to the table. So again, it doesn't mean that we're going to be picket, holding up picket signs, and, and all the planes are going to be stopped on the on the apron. That is one one possible uh, outcome, but it's not one that we would
1: initially start with. Okay. I think it's uh, it's important to mention as well, um, uh, and this goes back a little bit into case history from, from CA1, uh, in fact, it was not labor that walked off the job. Uh, the whole um, uh, 72 hours notice, uh, we received notice of lockout. Uh, and there were five things that the, uh, the employer put in front of us. It was uh, suspension of uh, interline travel privileges. Uh, it was cancellation of the profit share payment. Uh, there was a um, uh, cancellation of sick benefits. There are things that the employer can do uh, to precipitate um, uh, a lockout-type situation. And so uh, uh, there are two sides to this coin, if you will.
0: If a situation did arise where we were to go out on strike what would be the likelihood or the potential of uh, being forced back to work by the government? Joel?
1: Well, uh, first of all, I think it's important to acknowledge that there's a constitutionally protected right uh, to strike. Uh, there was a Supreme Court of Canada case um, uh, earlier in the last decade um, that came out of Saskatchewan, which held that um, uh, the right to strike is, is an expression of, of freedom of expression, and it's protected under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So that's fundamental to the nature of the relationship that we have with, uh, with the employer. Um, as well, I think you need to just take a look at the coalition government uh, in Ottawa. Uh, we have the uh, Liberal Party uh, in power uh, with the support of the NDP, uh, Labour Friendly. Um, and uh, uh, that, uh, uh, the two pillars for, for, um, uh, for those two uh, respective parties is, is um, uh, responding and respecting um, uh, not only the rule of law, but also the, uh, uh, the rights of, of, of Labour to, uh, to engage in, in lawful uh, protest. Um, if you go back in in history, one of the only mechanisms that um, that em, uh, employees have had to um, be able to to get improvements to their wages and working conditions is through withholding labor, and that's exactly what we're doing. We're just channeling, you know, hundreds of years of of uh, collective bargaining experience uh, and the law, the way it exists uh, in Canada, to allow us to go out and do exactly that. As well, Joel, I think we uh, we have to acknowledge that there is no flying that we do that is
2: not covered by Air Canada or some other carrier. So to force us back to work, they'd have to uh, come up with a fairly good reason to to uh, go against uh, our
1: constitutional right to strike. No, I, I think you, um, Bernie, you raise an excellent point. I think what you were alluding to is uh, whether or not the flying that we're doing would be considered to be an essential service. And I think, Des,
0: you have some experience with this uh, from your time at, uh, at PAL Airlines, right? I was working with PAL Airlines at the SPC national um Level and one of the situations that they ran into is that they did not have a essential service agreement in place. Uh, how are we situated with that, and how will we handle that going forward?
1: Well, the um, section in the uh, the Canada Labour Code for those of you that sleep with a copy of that under your pillow is uh, section eighty seven point four. And uh, what it speaks to is uh, the, the continued provision of essential services that are deemed to be um, uh, in the best interests uh, for the health and welfare of Canadians. So anytime that, uh, that there's um, uh, the supply of a service that uh, is essential to, uh, to protect individuals and ensure that they uh, don't come to any harm, uh, there is um, a requirement to enter into what's called a maintenance of activities agreement. Now, uh, it bears noting that uh, on September the 6th that we provided a notice to the employer to indicate that it was the union's position that none of the services that are provided by WestJet are considered to be or would meet the definition under the essential services piece. Um, It took the uh, employer roughly a month to respond uh, to say that they uh, declined to enter into a discussion with us on that particular point. Now, really, there wasn't much to do until we reached the point uh, that we talked about earlier, which was the um, uh, reaching a point of impasse and providing the uh, notice of dispute to the government that then opened the door for us to make an application to the um, CIRB which is the Canadian Industrial Relations Board to have a declaration made about whether uh, which one of us is right Uh, is it uh, the association whose position is that nothing is essential or is it the employers uh, who's uh, taken the position that some of the services that we provide are essential that will be subject to a hearing uh, that's been scheduled and we'll be uh, moving ahead with that process um, as uh, the timeline unfolds but um, I guess you know to circle back we are continuing to bargain, and we're continuing to move forward and focus our attention
0: on reaching agreement. Right, Bernie? Absolutely. Yeah. So my recollection was that in the case of PAL, um, they did not go out on strike, and uh, multiple places that they that they uh, operated to they were the only provider of uh, service to those places. That is not our case at WestJet. Uh, the places that we fly to are often serviced by other carriers as well. So the, the likelihood of that happening seems to be somewhat less than what it would be with an operator like PAL.
1: No, I, w- I would say 100%. I mean, all you need to do is look out the flight deck window um, at any of your competitors that are on the ramp at any one particular point of call uh, to see that uh, that there's ample coverage and ample service. I mean, the reality is... WestJet is Canada's number two airline, but you represent probably 30% market share in the, uh, in the marketplace. Um, you know, To say that um, service between Calgary and Toronto is an essential service when you've got uh, uh, various carriers, both ULCC and full-service carriers, uh, swarming like bees back and forth within that marketplace, is a little bit uh,
0: disingenuous. So now, seeing as we have legal here, I think we should touch on arbitration. We spoke about it a little bit in our previous podcast, but we have the good fortune of having some legal expertise to uh, explain that a little bit further. Bernie, how does our pilot group feel about uh, the prospect of arbitration, and what is our stance on arbitration? Uh, the
2: MEC's stance on arbitration is that we won't willingly go into it. We recognize there is a potential risk that we'll be forced into it, but we're not going to... Uh, uh, ex- accept it
0: willingly. Okay. Joel, could you touch on some of the uh, circumstances that might leave us being forced into arbitration?
1: Sure. Well, at the risk of uh, taking us down yet another uh, history lesson, I think there are some important distinctions to be made between uh, what happened during the CA1 negotiations and uh, the present circumstance that we're faced with. Uh, To begin with, um, first contracts, uh, so the first collective agreement, which is what CA1 was, uh, have a provision to provide for an arbitration procedure to to settle first contracts. Now, clearly that doesn't apply in this circumstance because we're renewing uh, and we're pursuing our second collective agreement. Uh, number two, and I think this is probably even more important, the um, the decision to go into the mediation uh, arbitration process that was um, utilized last time uh, with the intervention of Arbitrator Kaplan arose as a result or in response to incorporation of the, uh, the Swoop um, uh, bargaining unit as part and parcel of the WestJet bargaining unit. And that was essentially the... Uh, uh, the bargain with the devil that we uh, engaged in uh, we got to, to have the pilots included uh, and be able to bargain on their behalf but the uh, the price that we paid was the acceptance the voluntary acceptance of uh, of the mediation slash arbitration procedure i mean you've you 've heard uh, Bernie talk uh, about how we 're not willingly going to go down that path again uh, so i I think it's uh, uh, suffice suffices to say or fair to say that 's not going to happen again we won't be, uh, we won 't be fooled again uh, to quote the uh, the who and um, uh, so then that leaves us with uh, with one last possible avenue, and I think we need to uh, to be adult about this and acknowledge the reality. If there is a back-to-work legislation, um, that back-to-work legislation will result in an arbitration process to settle the agreement. But we've already talked about in the course of this conversation how there's a constitutionally protected right uh, to strike, that that is uh, the exercise of, uh, of of the natural uh, course of, of labor negotiations and bargaining. Uh, and is something that um, uh, your representatives are actively working in terms of their lobbying efforts at various levels of the government to uh, uh, to counter effect. So uh, we are uh, are out there uh, telling our side of the story and uh, and asking that uh, uh, the government protect our uh, uh, our inalienable right to uh, to exercise our uh, our rights.
0: Okay, well, Joel, it sounds like we're keeping you pretty busy with the uh, WestJet Alpa project here, eh?
1: Well, certainly, this is my full-time job, and part of the reason why I was hired is because I'm based in Calgary, with the expectation that I would look after the uh, the needs of the WestJet pilot group. Uh, we have uh, my colleague Jeanette, uh, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, coming up uh, on Sunday nights and working with our negotiators for the full week. Uh, you know, uh, we've got uh, my other colleague Gary Fain, who's got 40 years as a labor relations uh, specialist. Uh, that comes into town and participates uh, uh, alongside uh, the three of us. Um, really, we are, um, uh, as, a, as a group of staff, support uh, here to, uh, to make sure that, uh, that you're ultimately successful.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Joel. And, uh, and what's really exciting about this is that if we ever do get into a lockout or a strike position, uh, we've got all sorts of help that will be coming up from national uh, to, to Calgary and uh, helping us man the, the strike center. In the meantime, we've, uh, we've got two individuals from SPSC National that are going to be up helping us through the next uh, through, through the remainder of the 60-day conciliation period and the 21-day. Uh, those, uh, the two fellows I'm thinking of uh, in particular are, are both individuals that, that did a very similar uh, process at Alaska Airlines. They were on their, uh, the SBSC and the communications team up there. Uh, wealth of uh, resources that we have from Alpa National. We look forward to utilizing them.
0: All right, well, that brings us to about the end of this version of our PIREP podcast. Uh, one of the takeaways I hope you can take from this is that uh, we are not alone. We have tremendous amount of resources. There are many tools in the Alpa toolkit, and they are all being employed in uh, helping us through our negotiations at this time. So until the next time, uh, stay informed, stay engaged, show your support. And I hope that you tune in again for our next version of the West Jet Pilots Pirate Podcast. Thanks very much, guys.